0: is the PFT PM podcast and now your host Mike Florio
1: Tuesday March 13th edition of the PFT PM podcast things are happening quickly in the NFL Monday was quiet Monday we wrote at PFT in the evening a lot of just generalized exploration nothing Significant, nothing concrete, no agreements in principle. Now remember during this negotiating window, agreements in principle are allowed. The challenge, however, is lining up the various prospects and getting your needs properly taken care of and then assuming that these deals become official come Wednesday at 4 p.m. Most of them do. Frank Gore fell through a couple of years ago. He had a deal with the Eagles. He stepped aside. And that's the one thing to keep in mind. Any of these players can step aside. It's not unprecedented. It's bad form. It creates issues for the agent. It creates creates issues for the player. But as we learned with Josh McDaniels, it can happen. But these deals now getting done on Tuesday. It started overnight, and it has continued throughout the course of the day. And I want to start with the most recent one that broke. Jimmy Graham... To the Packers. Second straight year, the Packers take a whirl on an unrestricted free agent tight end. Now, by the time you hear this, the money figure may be out when it comes to Graham, but the money wasn't leaked immediately with the news the Packers are signing into a three year deal. And it makes me wonder is the money good? There's a standard rule that applies when a player signs a contract in the Normal 362 days out of the year that aren't free agency. That if the numbers aren't leaked within 24 hours after news of the deal, that means the numbers are nothing to brag about. I think that in this compressed window of free agency, if the numbers aren't out there pretty damn quickly at or about the time the news of the deal emerges, the numbers are nothing to brag about. And remember, it was four years ago, it was a 10 year no. Four-year, $10 million deal for Jimmy Graham. Feels like 10 years. Four-year, $10 million... Let me try that again. Four-year, $40 million deal for Jimmy Graham. $10 million per year. That deal expires. So he exits Seattle, who traded for him after one year with the Saints. There was talk that the Saints were very interested. My sense is that the Saints wanted to pay even less than what the Packers were willing to pay. We'll see what the Packers ultimately paid. It's possible that Graham took the same package from the Packers just for a change of scenery, just to do something different. And the cost of moving on from Martellus Bennett to Jimmy Graham also means that the Packers are moving on from Jordy Nelson. And that's not a surprise it was expected that either Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb would be out after Devontae Adams got $14.5 million per year back in January. Now with Jimmy Graham in, Devontae Adams paid, Jordy Nelson is gone clearing up more than $10 million in cap space and cash. The question becomes whether Randall Cobb is also in any type of, of jeopardy. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he restructures or, or something and it's Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham is the top two options on the receiving chart because Graham is essentially a receiver. Remember, he made that argument four years ago when the franchise tag was applied by the New Orleans Saints. That he's a receiver, not a tight end. The Saints won the grievance, but ultimately Graham did the deal. And, and there's a, there was a thought that, that there were hard feelings as a result of the, the grievance. And the way that the Saints pursued it and the evidence that they submitted and the arguments they made, it just created enough of a of a problem that that greased the skids for the trade three years ago. And, and maybe whatever happened then still lingered and affected and influenced Graham's willingness to return to the Saints. So instead he goes to the Packers. And, and the NFC North, intriguing. We'll talk more about the bigger move made in the NFC North coming up. But now now let's go through the quarterbacks. Th- those are the, the moves that everyone cares about because this is the first year that there were this many unrestricted free agent quarterbacks. It's unprecedented. It's almost too many. How many years do you have this where pretty much anyone who wants a quarterback can get a quarterback to the point where the music is stopping... And there are potential starting quarterbacks who don't have a chair. Let's start with the one that fascinated me for weeks, Drew Brees. Staying with the Saints, for some reason it took eight weeks and two days to do the deal. A deal that wasn't close to top of the market. A deal that could have been easily negotiated a long time ago without putting... Saints fans, through a lot of unnecessary stress. Two years, $25 million per year. Okay. Breeze, for the first time, didn't push the envelope to get every last dollar, in large part because Breeze didn't want to leave. Your primary leverage in free agency is the willingness to take the word free literally. If you don't want to leave, you're not going to do your best possible deal because sometimes you have to leave to do your best possible deal. For Breeze, staying put, the Saints knew it. See, we had the item early this morning before any steam started to pick up on Breeze staying with the Saints, that Breeze didn't want to leave, his wife didn't want to leave, the Saints were dug in, but that's that. And there was a thought that the agent Tom Condon was pushing and pushing and pushing for more and pushing Breeze to consider leaving and pushing the bar to $30 million per year. I think that the agents have taken it on as a point of pride to be the first one to $30 million. That's why there was a leak, I believe, earlier today that one other team had offered Drew Breeze $60 million guaranteed over two years. That way, Condon can kind of unofficially claim that he got to 30 million, but Breeze didn't want it. Breeze didn't want to go. Now, somebody else told me, and not this wasn't an agent. Somebody with a team that would be in a position to know said there wasn't a 60 million dollar figure on the table, and, and I trust this source that 60 million over two years was not offered fully guaranteed. It makes Breeze look good in New Orleans. And I think it would have been possible for Breeze to leave the Saints. Even if he set it up as a test for the Saints to see if they would lowball him. And let's assume somebody did offer $30 million per year on a two-year deal versus $25 million per year on a two-year deal. It's a $5 million difference. If that's even true. Not big enough, apparently, to get Breeze to leave. Now, I think it's safe to assume that if the Vikings are offering $28 million for Cousins, they would have at least done $28 million for Breeze on a short-term deal. $3 million a year, not enough. Breeze wasn't leaving. He meant what he said. The problem is that made it harder to get top-of-the-market money. So now, one of the most competitive guys around has to look at Jimmy Garoppolo making $2.5 million more per year than him. Matthew Stafford making $2 million more per year than him. Cousins making $3 million more per year than him. Eventually, Aaron Rodgers, I think, gets to $30 million, $5 million a year more per year than Breeze. Breeze is making the same as Derek Carr. And Derek Carr stunk last year, all due respect. Cousins goes to the Vikings. Three years, $28 million a year, fully guaranteed. That's $84 million. Now, there was a report last year, or last week, rather. Chris Cooley was saying $91 million fully guaranteed over three. And I said, there's no way that's true. And it wasn't. Now, he didn't say $28 million a year. I don't know what I would have said to that. Because if I'm the Vikings and I'm paying... $84 million fully guaranteed over the first three. I'd like a couple non-guaranteed back-end years where I can, number one, spread cap hit, and number two, keep the guy around at a reasonable rate. So smart move by Cousins and his agent Mike McCartney to keep it at three years. He got a fully guaranteed deal, and then when he's 32, he'll be back on the market. And keep this in mind. I don't know what the cap number is going to be in the final year of the contract, but if the Vikings would tag him three years from now, because he's been tagged two prior times by Washington, he would get a 44% raise over whatever his cap number is in the last year of the deal. So this is three years and most likely back to market for Cousins. Well, isn't he taking risk that he's not going to be effective and no one's going to want him? Well, yeah, but if he had two non-guaranteed years on the back end of this deal and he wasn't playing well, the Vikings would have cut him and he'd be in the same spot that he's going to be in. So it's not just the full guarantee that is significant here because every year there are 20 players or so in the draft who get four-year fully guaranteed contracts, it's not unheard of in the NFL. Cousins is the first one to get a three-year fully guaranteed deal that is the extent of the deal. And Dominick Kinsu, as a practical matter, got that in Miami because they're going to cut him after 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, barring something unexpected and unforeseen at this point. But Cousins gets fully guaranteed on a three-year deal and no commitment beyond that. You know, one of the suggestions for year four, five, six, tie the compensation to a percentage of the salary cap. If a team's not willing to do that, fine, just let me go back to the market. And if I'm playing well and get another contract. So Cousins will have made 19.95 million two years ago, 23.94 million last year and 84 million over the next three years and get another bite at the apple when he's still smack dab in the middle of his prime at 32. No injury issues, no knee problems, nothing like that. So a great deal for Cousins. And when you look at some of these other numbers that are being thrown around, not a bad deal for the Vikings. That leads to Case Keenum. Case Keenum was the first one to agree to terms. Overnight, Keenum to the Broncos. And I think that Keenum realized if he didn't go to Denver, number one, he wasn't going to have any viable option to sign with a great team Or at least a competitive team, and he wasn't going to get big money. I think the line of demarcation for guys like Keenum, A.J. McCarron, is Blake Bortles' money, $18 million a year, which is fairly low as veteran quarterbacks go, but if Bortles gets 18, you got to at least get 18 if you're Keenum, and the numbers didn't come out overnight. I had someone guess someone who has knowledge of the dynamics of the deal guessed 18 to 20 million a year for Keenum. I've seen some scattered suggestions of maybe 18 million a year. That's Bortles money. Keenum had a great season. Keenum stepped in for Sam Bradford. Keenum played extremely well. He's got a great skill when it comes to buying time behind the line of scrimmage. He can move laterally while keeping his eyes downfield. We had an item little package of plays today on PFT Live where Chris Sims showed that lateral movement and he'd reset and he'd move and he'd reset and he was always looking down the field and he would buy time with his legs until somebody sprang open. He didn't do a lot of running down the field. He would run laterally behind the line of scrimmage. Kind of a combination of Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger's kind of got that big, ungainly stride behind the line of scrimmage and he lumbers. With Brady, it's more graceful as he slides around in the pocket. Keenum slides around and runs outside of the pocket and avoids taking a big hit, but also maintains vision down the field. 18 million a year for him, apparently. Although the real numbers mired in secrecy because John Elway, see John Elway is so competitive. He can't do anything to help the team win during the season, so he helps the team win in the off season at the bargaining table. That's how he gets his competitive juices satiated. I want to win at every negotiation. And the fact that those numbers that Keenum got weren't trumpeted when the news broke, that tells me the numbers aren't great. And the numbers definitely don't look great in comparison to what Sam Bradford got. Sam Bradford with a degenerative arthritic knee. Getting two years from the Cardinals. $20 million in 2018. For a guy with a bad knee. His average per year more than it was on his last deal, which was an eighteen million dollar a year deal, and he was healthy at the time. Twenty million for this year for Sam Bradford in Arizona. Part of that desperation by the Cardinals. Part of that, I guess a blind belief that he's gonna be okay. He's convinced them somehow he can't go in for a physical. The doctors can't check him out. This is a lot like the Aaron Rob or the Allen Robinson situation where the Bears doctors They're going to have to give this guy a physical. I mean, that deal could crater, depending upon what they think of the knee. And the Bradford deal could crater. Think about 2006, when the Dolphins wanted Drew Brees, and the doctors said no. If that was playing out now, with Drew Brees with 26 studs in his shoulder, and agree to terms, all right, we got a deal, subject to the physical... And they go and they do the physical in Miami. What do the doctors say when it's already out there that the deal's done? Do the doctors pass him? Or do the doctors say, hey, you know what? We got to do something about this. There was a time a couple of years ago, I think it was Roger Saffold, signed a deal with the Raiders after spending time with the Rams. And the Raiders failed him on the physical and ended up back with the Rams. So keep that in mind for these guys who are damaged goods. Bridgewater, Bradford. Allen Robinson, that physical is going to be critical. Speaking of Bridgewater, the Jets, see, he becomes, I don't know what plan, plan B, plan C, plan D, I don't know. But once the Jets miss out on Cousins, as everyone expected them to do, because I think the range, I said this earlier today, the range for Cousins was 27.6 million to 30 million. The Jets at 30, the Vikings at somewhere below 30, and the question is how far below 30 before Cousins says, I'm going to the Jets. And I thought the floor would have been 27-6, instead it's 28. Cousins took that, left the Jets hanging. The Jets didn't get a crack at Keenum. And now there's a report that our good friend Josh McCown, is this accurate? McCown, one year, 10 million to go back to the Jets. How about that? What does that mean about Bridgewater? Does that mean they're signing both guys? We're going to have to look into this one. Could be that Bridgewater's out of luck. I can't imagine McCown and Bridgewater. And I said all along, sign McCown and draft A youngster, and let McCown mentor him. And he told us he would do that. You know what? I know Josh McCown. I'm going to find out what's going on. Sorry, a little real time texting. And uh, this is obviously great podcasting. So we'll see what happens with McCown, and we'll we'll see what happens with Bridgewater. It could be that Bridgewater is joining AJ McCarron as guys who have no seats when the music stops. This is unprecedented. I've said it again. There's no precedent, baby, to have more quarterbacks than there are jobs. And now what you have to do, if you're an A.J. McCarron, you just have to wait and see how this shakes out. And remember there were teams interested in trading for Nick Foles. Who's interested now? Who's going to trade for Foles? I mean, maybe one of these teams that's intent on finding a rookie. If they get through the draft and they don't get the guy they want, maybe Foles is a plan B for them. I don't know. But we've seen all the seats get filled. All of them have gotten filled. The Bills need someone, but that person will be a Mike Glennon. That person will be the stopgap until the rookie's ready because it's now clear the Bills are going to move into the top five. I saw there was a report today the Bills are exploring. Of course they are. We've been saying that for months. Once they moved to 21, well, they had 21 and 22. Once they moved to 12 yesterday, the handwriting was etched in stone making it not handwriting. It's a crazy time to try to figure out what's happening with quarterbacks in the NFL and where these teams are going. So it is true with McCown. He's going back to the Jets. It's not clear what's up with Bridgewater, though. McCown, the right move for the Jets. Smart move. And now the Jets will draft somebody. It looks like the teams that are candidates to draft. Browns, Bills, Jets, maybe the Cardinals. Probably the Cardinals. And maybe the Giants. And there are five high-quality first-round potential quarterbacks. Now, one of these other teams that has a quarterback may decide, all right, we need to be ready for the future. Like maybe the Saints. Who knows? Patriots, late first round. But but you know there aren't typically enough good quarterbacks to go around, and there still aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. Usually, the truth is there aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around. So you see a certain degree of desperation just to get somebody. This year, that's not the case. This year, every team can say, okay, we have a plan for how the quarterback position is going to go, and now. We wait and see who gets injured. We wait and see who's ineffective. We wait and see if somebody pulls the ripcord on a Nick Foles trade. Although this is a bad year to be trying to trade a quarterback. Unless we get a catastrophic Teddy Bridgewater-style knee injury to one of these guys, the Eagles probably aren't going to get a phone call. And Foles is the guy who loses because this is the time for him to strike. Because he's only going to make $7 million this year. Some people think the Eagles will give him more money, just out of the goodness of their heart, as a reward for what he did last year. But I think it's going to be hard to trade him now. And I think any of these teams that have otherwise committed to free agents would have explored the possibility of getting Foles first. And now that they're signing these free agents, Foles is a foregone conclusion. Really, why would you want to give up anything for Foles when there's this many free agents? So that's where we are. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's usually the crazy day. This has been a weird year. Because Monday, slow, Tuesday, frenetic, Wednesday, that's when the league year begins. It makes me wonder what else is out there. What other surprises may happen? What's going to occur when the new league year begins? Now, the reality is there will be deals that become official, trades, contracts, and the thing to keep in mind, because there's so many of these agreements in principle floating around, which ones will fall apart? And will the physicals be a factor for Bradford, Bridgewater, if he even has a deal by tomorrow, and Allen Robinson? Those are the big ones to watch. And then there are the potential surprise releases that will come after 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday and be designated as post-June 1. We know that Sue is expected to... To be cut by the Dolphins, but are there others out there that we don't know about? That's something else to keep an eye on. Plus, whatever, I mean, if there's stuff out there that people have just kept under wraps, it doesn't feel like anything's been kept under wraps. Excuse me while I try to ensure that there's interest in tomorrow. If people aren't paying close attention to the NFL this week and they were just planning on focusing on tomorrow, there there may not be a lot of new stuff that they find out tomorrow. They may be disappointed, but we'll see. I have a feeling, I have a feeling, as crazy as everything's been, The last week. I have a feeling when the clock strikes 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, there'll be plenty happening. All right, time to answer some questions. Most ever at 85. What a shock. But appreciate your questions. I'm going to scroll through and answer some of them now. Oh, one last thing before I do that the Vikings really did kind of step in it. The report came out that Kirk Cousins was leaning toward the Vikings. Mark Rosen from WCCO was the first one who said that Cousins intended to sign a four-year, $28 million per year deal with the Vikings. But then Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reported that a visit was set. And he had some details like Wednesday night dinner with coaches and Thursday night visit to the facility. and, And then Mike McCartney, Kirk Cousins' agent, went on the record with ESPN and said No decision has been made, but he will be visiting. That's the only plan. The plan is to visit. And that's fine if Cousins spontaneously decided to invite himself to Minnesota and didn't tell them, or if he told them they didn't respond. But if there's any discussion of arrangements to visit, that's a violation of the tampering policy. That is a clear violation of what is permitted during the 52-hour window when these discussions can be had. That's all you can do. You can discuss contract terms with the player's agent. You can't do anything else. I'm looking for the specific language. Here it is. A club may not discuss or make any travel arrangements with a prospective unrestricted free agent his certified agent or anyone else associated with the player until the expiration of the player's contract at 4 p.m. on the first day of the league new year. May not discuss or make any travel arrangements. Now, what are travel arrangements? Well, come visit us at at five o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. Is that a travel arrangement or is it the player making his own travel arrangements? There may be a loophole here. Like the Vikings can't book a flight for him. And the Vikings can't say, hey, we've got a flight and a hotel for you. They can't do that. He can do that on his own, I guess. But the fact that they're even in this gray area, that's, that's enough to make you nervous. Because it's a sign that they may have gone too far. And the reason why it's a concern, two years ago, the Chiefs got whacked. The Chiefs got whacked by the league office for tampering because in 2015, they had spoken directly to receiver Jeremy Macklin at a time when they were only allowed to speak to his agent during this 52-hour window or 48 or whatever it was at the time. It's changed from time to time. You start on a Saturday and expire on a Tuesday. Now it goes Monday at 12 noon Eastern to Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. But during that window, you can only talk to the agent. Third round pick, sixth round pick, and several different fines was the final outcome. So I think it's something for the Vikings to be nervous about. You may not discuss or make any travel arrangements. So you can't talk about travel arrangements. You can't make travel arrangements. So unless Kirk Cousins said nothing at all through his agent to the Vikings about visiting, just spontaneously decided to visit the Vikings to continue these conversations in person, that's going to be tough. The circumstances suggest that that happened. And I would say that there's going to be a digital footprint out there that shows something along the lines of, hey, Kirk is coming Wednesday. We're having dinner with Kirk Wednesday night. That's all it takes. A text message from Rick Spielman to Mike Zimmer, email, anything. If the if the NFL decides, and this is what bothers me about the NFL, it really is an arbitrary wheel of punishment. And sometimes they'll go after you and sometimes they won't. But if they decide to, you know, oh, Florio, you're being a narc. Look, th- th- this is part of my problem with the NFL. Sometimes they'll have these gift wrapped tampering cases and they'll look the other way. And other times they'll whack the team and they shouldn't whack the Vikings because everyone has been tampering to some degree or another. The question becomes, is this one of those cases where they say, well, we need to make an example out of people primarily because the Vikings were sufficiently reckless and more accurately, Mike McCartney was reckless in telling Ian Rappaport and or Adam Schefter that a visit was arranged and it may just be that people forgot that that was the rule I would guess that both reporters forgot that that was the rule all right question time Terry against 14 have you responded to a text on live TV today I heard all the insiders are doing it yes the cool kids you got to have your face in your phone because it can't wait until the break TV never comes first Being an information robot is always, always the, the, and, and look, it's so competitive and we try to break what we can, but I I would hate to have my entire identity tied up in whether or not I am finding out five minutes before everyone else, what's going to happen. That's it. That's all multiple people in the business. That's all they bring to the table. There's no analysis. There's no assistance and guidance for the audience on what it all means. It's, it's the most remote cookie, uh, cookie, cucka cutter, cookie cutter type of analysis. And that's fine. But man, I would hate that, that that's all I bring to the table. Hey, this is going to happen. Hey, this team's going to sign this guy. Hey, that team's going to sign that guy. Again, we aspire to do it. But I, I can't spend all my time. I won't spend all my time trying to be five minutes ahead. Of Basically being a glorified secretary. Well, we find out five minutes beforehand that this is going to happen. No, I want to have something a little more meaningful that is brought to the table. I want to have real analysis. I want to be able to spot, for example, the possibility of an injustice being visited upon the Vikings by virtue of the fact that somebody said something they shouldn't have said in giving someone that that heads up as to what's going to happen. At Ain't Nothing Nice, what team's draft plans have changed the most during the legal tampering period? Well, you can take the Broncos, I think, out of the mix for a quarterback with the fifth overall pick in the draft. I think that's the one they currently hold. There was talk that maybe they would trade up. They already have Paxton Lynch and Chad Kelly. I think with Case Keenum, they won't be drafting a quarterback first overall. The Vikings obviously won't be. But I think the Broncos now can focus on addressing other needs with the fifth overall pick. It would be a surprise if they took one of these quarterbacks. So I think that's the most obvious one. And and look at any of these teams. If they're signing a big name free agent at a given position, that reduces dramatically the need to go out and address that position in the draft. At Dacius Maximus, how does a guy who can't stay on the field keep getting paid, i.e. Bradford? I don't know. But it just shows you how good and valuable a quarterback is. Because Bradford had a career night week one against the Saints best he's ever played. Statistically, he looked great. There was reason for Vikings fans to think we can actually make it to the Super Bowl this year, and they almost did without Bradford, which is the amazing aspect of it. He gets injured, Case Keenum steps in, it was a little rocky at first, and then off they went. Bradford is a very good passer. The question is, will he be healthy enough to actually stand upright and pass? Terry Gensler, 14, could the Giants trade back to four with the Browns, then back again to 12 with the Bills and end up with immense draft capital? Well, but why would the Browns want to trade from four to two? I don't know that the Browns are going to be so in love with two guys that they have to have number one and number two. Why not just trade down from four or from two rather to 12 in one fell swoop with the Bills? I think the Bills are ready to give up plenty to get toward the top of the draft, and why not shoot for number one? I said after the Tyrod Taylor trade from last Friday that sent the Bills quarterback to Cleveland, they're just priming the pump. There could be another major transaction. I could see the Bills try to get all the way to number one, because then you don't have to worry. You know you're getting your pick, your guy. And in a year like this, where there isn't an easy way to understand the hierarchy, and there's so many quarterbacks. I think the safest course is to go all the way to the top and get the best guy that you have on the board. Because if you get to two, three, or four, you're taking the chance. that The guy you love, and they're not going to advertise this. They're not going to broadcast it. The guy you love may be gone by the time you draft at two, three, four, five. But they're already at 12. They got pick 22 they can add to it. They got two second rounders. They got two third rounders. You just offer those. And you get, does that get you to number one? there's a draft value trade chart that became outdated when they came up with a real rookie wage scale. But if the Bills are intent on getting the quarterback that's going to make them great for 10 to 15 years, and Sean McDermott, he's the head coach of the Bills in large part because he was with a team that had a true franchise quarterback. Brandon Bean is the GM because he was with a team that had a true franchise quarterback. Franchise quarterbacks get guys hired and they keep guys employed. And if he's great, Whoever they draft, if he's the guy, if they're right, then off they go. And they can try to gamble a little bit and save a pick here, save a pick there, and take a chance. They're not going to get their guy. They're so close now, I don't see them doing it. I see them wanting to get to number one. We'll see if they do. At D-Man Atlanta, does Minnesota have any money left for other free agents this year? It depends on how they've structured this. It's obviously 84 million is going to be accounted for over the next three years. Now it's possible there's some phony back end years they've used for signing bonus spreading. But I don't know what the cap commitment is this year. We'll get all the, They'll start trickling in once they're official. And I, well, that's one of the things we do. We try to break them down and make sense of them. And if there's BS that's out there, we expose it. Like Richard Sherman, when NFL media said three years, 39 million, and it came out that that was bogus. We'll point out the bogus reports, and we'll put the truth out there, and we'll let people understand what the cap numbers are, so you can properly try to figure out how it affects your team. But 84 million per year over a three-year deal doesn't mean 28, 28, 28. There's ways to structure it so it's a different cap hit this year. But they have other guys they need to sign, and if I'm a Vikings player who is approaching a new contract, I look at Cousins and I say, yeah, we got Cousins, and then I say, okay, what's it mean for me? Now, Cousins can say he took less to come to Minnesota, but not that much left. I'd say he left $6 million on the table. How much of a difference is that going to make when you have guys like Anthony Barr, Stephon Diggs, Daniil Hunter? You know, there may be some veterans that they decide to put the squeeze on. Their offensive line still isn't great. Look at what the Jaguars did. They keep Blake Bortles at 18, and they have the money to get Andrew Norwell. So, you know, for the first few years after the new CBA, there weren't a lot of teams that were having cap problems. Now there's more and more teams that are having issues keeping everything properly balanced. And as the quarterback market finally starts to get up to where it should have been, and it already should be north of 30, the teams with the highest paid quarterbacks are going to have a challenge in in making everything fit together. And the Vikings are going to have a problem because they only have cousins for three years. Three years from now, who's their quarterback going to be? Usually when you have a franchise quarterback, you know you can take some comfort in knowing that he's going to be around for a long time, five, six years, three years with Cousins. So they'll be out from under the burden of his cap numbers. But what does that mean for the team? Well, it just feels like they're going all in. They're trying to carve out a window over the next three years with Aaron Rodgers in their division and now Jimmy Graham there too. And Mitchell Trubisky maybe being the real deal. And Matthew Stafford, think about that. Stafford, Cousins, Rodgers all in the same division. And when Rodgers gets his new deal, you got Stafford at 27, Cousins at 28, Rodgers at 30 potentially. It's going to be 85 million in quarterbacks per year for those three teams. At Terry against 14, could Case Keenan be a 2018 version of Mike Glennon? I don't think so because I don't think the Broncos are going to use a high pick on a quarterback. This allows them to let it ride with Keenum. I think the guys who are the candidates to be this year's Glennon are Sam Bradford in Arizona. Whoever the Jets have signed, they've signed Josh McCown. They may sign Teddy Bridgewater. I'd be shocked if they get both, but McCown happily will be Mike Glennon. Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland is Mike Glennon, potentially, well, or actually. I mean, they're going to go out and sign, or draft rather, I think a quarterback with the first or fourth overall pick. So, it's not Keenum, I don't believe. I'd be very surprised if the Broncos take one of the quarterbacks. At the Impact 99, with the Super Bowl coming to Atlanta this year, what are your favorite places in Atlanta? I've never been there. So, I don't know. Never been there. Looking forward to it. At Terry Gensler 14, is the Nick Foles market losing steam or gaining it? Can Arizona really get a quarterback in the draft at 15? They certainly don't have the ammunition to trade up like Buffalo does. No, but you got Sam Bradford this year. So, Maybe you get a quarterback this year, maybe maybe you don't, and Foles is going to be a free agent next year. The Eagles aren't going to franchise tag him. The only way that Foles isn't available next year is if Foles is the week one starter because Carson Wentz isn't ready, and Foles plays so well that the Eagles can't justify taking him off the field, and Foles plays so well wire to wire and wins the Super Bowl again that he's just the guy, and then they have to move on from Carson Wentz. That's Very, 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 very unlikely. Wentz is their guy. Or if Wentz comes back and tears his ACL again, or if he comes back and he's never the same guy again, he says he's not going to change his playing style. He could be RG3, and Foles could be Kirk Cousins. And I think Philadelphia would react a hell of a lot more quickly to shift the focus to Foles than Washington did when it should have shifted the focus to Cousins and paid Cousins because he'd still be under contract there. And there's a chance Cousins is going to be great in Minnesota. There's going to be a chance he was as good as he was in Washington, despite the fact that that organization is so damn dysfunctional. Look at the deal they gave to the, 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 the Seahawks receiver, Paul Richardson. Tiny little guy, $20 million guaranteed for a guy who's never done much of anything at all in the NFL. Dysfunction in Washington. Maybe Cousins, now that he's escaped it, is going to be dramatically better. At Logan Ben fifteen with Aaron Colvin now gone in Jacksonville, who's a potential replacement at nickel corner? I, you know they may have somebody on the roster, they may draft somebody, they may sign somebody. They they had made the decision they weren't going to pay Aaron Colvin. They got AJ Boyer, they got Jalen Ramsey, and they'll 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 find a way. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know who they currently have who would slide in there, but uh, you know that's where the second phase of free agency becomes intriguing. Because some of the guys who maybe wanted too much and didn't get a job when the iron was hot, they're available for less money. And you can get that guy to come in and be your slot corner. But look, I'd take Bouye and Ramsey. You still don't want to have a weak link in the slot, but it was just going to be too much to pay Colvin. And uh, if they really thought he was great, they'd have found a way to work it out. At N.W. Jaker, over-under, how many of these first-day signings will be cut by the second year of their contracts? There'll be some. There'll be some. There'll be some of these guys that just don't work out. We see it every year. Martellus Bennett, he wasn't a first-day signing, though. He was a Friday, I think, signing a couple of years ago. But some of these guys who come in with a lot of hype, it just won't work, and they'll be gone. It just won't work. I don't know what the over-under is, because I don't know how many firm first-day signings there's going to be, but I'd say 15 to 20% of them won't work, that these moves of desperation in some cases aren't going to pan out, and then you just move on. At Reg Joe Sports, what's going on with A.J. McCarron? Didn't hear his name at all past two days. Teams are leery of him, and that surprises me. You know, there was a report from Ian Rappaport that if the Broncos don't get Cousins, they're going after McCarron, and then boom, they get Case Keenum. So, so much for that report. I thought the Broncos would be interested in It may be that McCarron just wanted too much money. I mean, McCarron may have looked at it and said, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo got twenty seven five for seven inconsequential starts. I had four meaningful starts, three December starts and a playoff start. And I went toe to toe with the Broncos, who eventually won the Super Bowl, took them to overtime, and I did everything in my power to beat the Steelers in the wild card round. So pay me. Pleep you pay me. The good fellas scale. And the you know, he overshot. He overplayed his hand. Good news, he became an unrestricted free agent. Bad news, the music is stopping and there's no seat for A.J. McCarron. What's he going to do? One-year deal back to Cincinnati? And could the Bengals look at him? You know, if if let's say, let's say that he would take the same deal that Andy Dalton has. What do you do if you're the Bengals? Do you take McCarron and do you let Dalton go for 16? They may have that that opportunity, where they just decide, you know what, we're going to pay McCarron what we would have paid Dalton over the next three years, and we'll take McCarron at that number. Because I think that's one of the reasons why the Bengals are intent to keep Dalton. He's down at the very bottom of the veteran quarterback pay scale. At Ears McGee, 69. (laughs) Nice. Over under four and a half wins for the Browns. I'll go over. What the hell? Give me the over. They can't be worse than they were last year. Maybe they'll get the 5-11, and which for most teams would be a debacle. But for the Browns, it would be cause for a ticker tape parade. At A. Giammanoni, 6. So now that the guaranteed cousin contract is no longer a rumor, what does this do for the NFL going forward? Well, here's where it breaks new ground, as I said earlier. It's not just three years fully guaranteed because Ndamukong sue did that. It's not having the fourth year, fifth year, sixth year it lets the guy get back to market. That's the new thing. So Kirk Cousins, who blazed a trail with the year-to-year franchise tag, now a short-term fully guaranteed deal. Three years fully guaranteed. Will more players get that? Will more players want that? And will teams do that instead of giving the guy a percentage of the cap year four, year five, year six? Because Cousins was going to try to get that, I believe. And there was talk, remember we threw that out there several weeks ago, will someone do a fully guaranteed contract for Kirk Cousins? The thinking was it would be longer than three years. Because remember, if you do a fully guaranteed deal, you have to put like 80% or more of the money into escrow at the time you sign it. It's a provision that's aimed at protecting players against teams that may not have money. Outdated provision that actually hurts players because it makes teams less likely to do fully guaranteed deals. Vikings willing to put aside 84 million right now. They really are going, they're going for it. And now the pressure is going to be on them to be better with Kirk Cousins. Than they were with Case Keenum. Kind of hard to say. Wow, we're going to go 13 and 3. Washington was never 13 and 3 with Cousins. It's a high bar. It's a lot of pressure for Cousins, for the Vikings, for everyone associated with that organization. At Charles Dismooks, how the hell are you going to get through these questions? Alcohol. At Andrew Ye, do you know of any teams interested in Domenick Sue? Could he return to the Lions? Hello, he not is gone. Was essentially Sue's replacement, but the Lions don't have a ton of cap space. You've got an entirely different regime, though, in Detroit, and and I think he needs to go to a team that's going to put him in a scheme where he can just go after the ball carrier, go after the quarterback, create havoc. Don't tie up blockers. I think in Miami there was a lot of time spent persuading him to be happy not getting numbers, not getting tackles, not getting sacks, but happy in the knowledge that he was creating basically cover for the other guys on the defense. And the fact that he made it to the Pro Bowl in 2016, even though his numbers were down because he was just kind of tying up as many blockers as possible and just being this big menace that the offensive line swarmed to stop instead of just finding one gap and ripping through it. I just, I think that, here's my theory, and I don't know this part of it. I think the adversity that the Dolphins went through in 2017 allowed Adam Gase and the organization to spot the guys who just weren't committed who weren't in it for the right reasons. So Jay Ajayi dumped during the season. Jarvis Landry gone after the season. And Dominican Sue gone after the season. They're trying to get guys who they know or hope will be great. And they got Danny. How about Danny Amendola? What in the hell? Danny Amendola has broken that mental hold that Bill Belichick has had over him. He cashed every check of the contract he signed in 2013, but every year it seems like he took less money than he was supposed to get because Bill asked him to. I was joking around earlier. The only explanation for Amandola going to the Dolphins is that Bill Belichick told him to do it. At Rudy's R, if you could grade player contracts, what metrics would you use? I know from talking to agents over the years that the most important factor is the full guarantee at signing and the ultimate guarantee is the signing bonus because then they can't screw around with you later and withhold money. How much money do they pay you out of the gates? What's the cash flow? It's one thing to get a signing bonus. It's another thing to get it all within five days of signing the deal. Sometimes they'll kick half of it out a year. You want the money in hand. You want the cash in hand now. Cash flow over the first three years is an important metric. Signing bonus, full guarantee at signing and cash flow over the first three years. That's the most important trio of metrics based upon, again, I didn't think of this. I haven't sat down and come up with it. Just you hear it over and over again when you deal with the people who negotiate these contracts. At Mrs. Voyer54, who are your top three guests that you've always wanted on the show but have never accepted your invitation request? I mean, we've tried to get Bill Belichick, just perfunctory. Hey, do you, hey I know we'll say no. I'd, I'd love to interview Bill Belichick that's number one. Number two, number three, I don't know. I don't know. Because if I send somebody who don't want to come on the show, I really don't want them. Because why do I want somebody who do not want to be on the show? I'd rather talk to the people who want to be on the show. I, I just think that Bill Belichick would be a very good interview, and it would be a challenge to come up with with questions to get him to kind of step out of that that very guarded shell of his. I'd be nervous as hell, though. I'd be Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney, and it would be horrible. At Rudy's R, what player is most likely to pull a Josh McDaniels? I don't think it's a Josh McDaniels. I don't I don't think it's a player pulling it as much as it is one of these guys having the Josh McDaniels pulled on him by, by failing the physical. Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater if he agrees to terms before 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, and Allen Robinson, those are the three I'm watching. Those are the three most likely to have their deal fall through. Beyond that, I, I don't know that any of these guys is going to Although I could see Case Keenum, because here's the thing, if you renege, where do you go? If you're one of these quarterbacks, there's got to be somebody else out there that wants you. If if I'm Case Keenum, I may have a little remorse over 18 million a year. If Bradford's getting 20 this year, the one-legged guy that I replaced and played better than. So I think the thing to watch is whether or not any of these physicals end up being failed. At and Toth, y'all, 32, to Sam Bradford have the best agent slash agency in the NFL? Well, a pretty good deal. I don't think Richard Sherman could have gotten Sam Bradford $20 million this year. That's for damn sure. That's amazing. At our Dougie, if you're the Rams, do you develop with Reynolds and Cup, sign a free agent, or draft a receiver? I, I, uh... Depend. I, look, here's the thing. I trust my offense. I trust my running back. I trust my quarterback. And... Look look at how they did last year with Cup. They found Cup who had been passed over a couple of times. I think you trust Sean McVay and company to identify a young guy and you're going to need some young cheap guys because you got some guys you're paying. You got some expensive guys. You want to have young guys for 3 or 4 years on their rookie contracts instead of going out and investing like they did in Robert Woods last year. They let Watkins walk for a reason. They got a plan. I mean defensively they've shored up their their secondary with these moves that they made. Prior to the start of the league year, the trades that will happen on Wednesday, uh, I would always, yeah, and and there are plenty of receivers out there who can play early because all those seven-on-seven camps, all those quarterback developmental efforts, there's guys catching the passes. So receivers have been able to develop maybe a little faster than we've seen in the past. Now, some guys just never develop, but the guys who are going to develop, it doesn't always take three years now. They develop right away. At Reverend Mark Worth, why does the NFL insist on not letting players talk to teams before an arbitrary date? It seems like they're setting players and teams up like Brock Osweiler. And you're absolutely right. I don't like this two-day window. See, the two-day window was aimed at addressing the widespread reality that tampering was happening. So you create a window where it's allowed, and then maybe less of it happens before. And maybe we pay less attention to it. And that's kind of the case. The numbers don't come out now typically until that window. Like at the scouting combine, tampering happens. But it's more, we're interested in this guy. We're interested in that guy. You'll be hearing from us about this guy. You'll be hearing from us about that guy. Not, here's how much money we're going to offer. Him. Just how many teams are going to be interested. Like I knew back at the scouting combine, there'd be seven teams interested in Deion Lewis. And there's seven teams other than the Patriots interested in him now the numbers start coming during this 48-hour window. But I think that the players should be allowed to make visits during the window. They should be allowed to talk directly to teams. They should be allowed to understand that if they're going to reach an agreement in principle, they want to reach an agreement in principle with somebody they want to work for. And, And what's the downside? You're letting their representatives negotiate the deal. Why not let the coach and the player have dinner together and make sure that that they don't get to a point not long after the ink dries where they say, I hate you. At bored to death, if the Vikings host Kirk Cousins for lunch, but he only gets soup at Mendy's, do they owe him another lunch? Well done. At Darren M. Ova, are the Cardinals as crazy as I think they are with 15 million guaranteed to Bradford in that bad knee? Yes. And, and they, they could fail him on that physical. At Terry Gensler 14, did Washington overpay for Paul Richardson? Mentioned him earlier. Yes, I think they did. Ah, Scrolling through these. At Leapers 500, how many cigars do you smoke in a week? It's a strange feeling when you see the number rising. Hey, trust me. I stay at one to two a week, and I'm fine with that. I was talking to somebody in the media that, and I probably wouldn't care if I mentioned his name, but we're talking about cigars he'd smoke three the night before. It's like, I don't want to smoke three. I mean, if I smoke one, I've satisfied my desire for the next few days because they kind of linger. They definitely linger into the next morning. So one's fine for me every few days, two a week. It depends on how often I'm down in the barn. There's something about being down in the barn, hanging out, having a, having an adult beverage, watching sports where you want to just light one up. But I get down to the barn. I don't know. Especially busy times like this, I don't get down to the barn as much as I'd like to. Two, three times a week in the barn, two cigars a week. That's good for me. And these are high-level quits. good on a busy day like this. It's nice to take a little break from the real stuff and answer a non-football question. At Leapers 500 has a football question. Isn't Josh Allen the most like Elway of the prospects he's seen since becoming the boss in Denver? Monster arm, mobile, tough, and physical for his era. Yes, 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 and yes. But here's the thing. I think... Elway may be a little gun-shy after trading up for Paxton Lynch. I think Elway may doubt his ability to spot great quarterbacks. And I think Elway may have resolved to not take a chance on a late first-round quarterback again. That the next time we see the Broncos take a quarterback in round one, it's going to be an Elway. It's going to be a consensus, no-brainer, he's the guy. You don't want to try to get cute late round one and find a guy that, that slipped through the cracks in the year that Jared Goff and Carson Wentz were the clear number one and number two. At Terry against the 14, is Vince Young going to announce that the Eagles have a dream D-line? I see what you did there. It was seven years ago. I brought that up with Harry Roseman at the combine, dream team, 2011, because I talked about having the draft before free agents, and he said, oh, yeah, well, that happened in 2011 because of the lockout. I said, yeah, that was dream team year. He didn't appreciate that very much. At Leapers 500, in a PFT Live segment, you said current Broncos receivers are similar to Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, or that was my impression. I think statistically and still in age, Emmanuel Sanders and Demaryius Thomas are two greater signs better than Diggs and Thielen. At Rockbach responded by saying, I think you're in the minority, and I agree. I think that, that Diggs and Thielen are every bit as good as Thomas and Sanders right now. Absolutely. They were great last year. Thielen was incredible feeling doesn't get the respect he deserves. At Luke Wolf 21, how many points will the Packers defense give up on average week to week this year? 40 to 45, 46 to 50, 51 to 56, or over 56. Hey, look, Mike Patton's now the defensive coordinator. They struggled for years under Dom Capers. There was talk they were going to bring in Muhammad Wilkerson for a visit, maybe sign him. That's petered out. We'll see. At Terry Gensler 14, will the Eagles restructure Fletcher Cox like they did Lane Johnson? I have to look at his contract, but any of these guys are targets for restructuring. And and basically what it does is it creates cap space now by pushing cap space into future years. It's easy to do. Very easy to do. You have to be willing to kick the can and understand you're going to have increased cap numbers for that player in future years. At what it be to nuck? Where could Monday Night Football end up if it's not on ABC, ESPN? Could Turner make a run? Here's the thing. The NFL views traditionally one of the two primetime packages, Sunday or Monday night, as a cable package. The other is a broadcast package. It used to be Sunday Night Football was the cable package and Monday Night Football was the broadcast package. In 2006, when NBC got Sunday Night Football, Sunday Night Football became Monday Night Football. That became the broadcast package, the three-letter network, the better schedule. And ESPN's been pissed off for a decade that they get a cable package. See, for ESPN, it's not the quality of the games you have. It's just having the NFL on your air that gives you the ability to go out and make the money. The NFL understands that the audience is necessarily going to be smaller on cable. That's one of the things that upsets me about great big-time college sports, the NCAA football championship, the NCAA tournament. At least, if you're not going to pay these kids, at least give them maximum exposure. And it's still maximum exposure on a broadcast network. So, the question becomes, when Monday Night Football comes up again, does it go to a broadcast network? At a time when the NFL is very concerned about its ratings, does the NFL want to have another night, three nights out of the week, with games on broadcast TV? Now, Thursday Night Football, it's only part of the year on broadcast, part of the year on cable. But it could be that the NFL decides... To maximize what it can get financially, but maximize the audience by putting Monday Night Football on ABC or CBS. If, if Fox came to the table with big money for Thursday Night Football to supplement its Sunday package, I could see one of these other three-letter networks swooping in. Now, it could be that since ABC and ESPN are similarly owned, that ABC wouldn't be interested if ESPN's not getting it again. But what about NBC and CBS? What about What about NBC having Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football? Bang, bang, back to back. The two biggest nights of the week are on the same network. You can't rule out anything going into 2023. Just a quick refresher. Monday Night Football goes away from ESPN after 2021. Now, unless they keep it. But that deal expires 2021. The other deals expire 2022. So, you know, there could be a weird year there where maybe CBS or NBC has Monday Night Football and its Sunday package, and then maybe what it has after that changes. I, I think all bets are off into the next TV deals, but I don't buy the idea that there's going to be this rush towards streaming because the NFL still realizes its best bet at maximizing audience is three-letter network broadcast TV. All right, you know what? I got to go because uh, I got to do something for NBCSN. So uh, sorry, but I got to wrap it up. I appreciate your questions. We may do this tomorrow, depending upon how the day unfolds. It's more likely to be a Thursday continuation of PFT PM. Thanks for your time. Tomorrow morning, PFT Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. And please stay with us around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day.
0: You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show. And push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh,